This is Project Inspire, an interview podcast created and produced by students in the Haslam College of Business at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and sponsored by the Haslam Office of Student Engagement. In this episode, we're joined by Amy Miles. Mrs. Miles saw success as the former CEO of Regal Entertainment for over a decade during some of the most challenging years for theaters and some of the most interesting for entertainment and cinema. Welcome to episode seven of Project Inspire. My name is Nick, and I'm super happy to be joined by Mrs. Amy Miles today. Mrs. Miles, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Nick. It's such a pleasure, and I'm honored to participate in Project Inspire. Yeah, it's an absolute honor to have you here. Um, how, have you, how have you been doing today? How's your day been so far? It's been really good. Uh, today has been a UTK day for me. <laughs> I started this morning with one of the classes in the in the business school, and Got to talk to the class, got to mentor some students one-on-one, and then had lunch with a group of MBA students. So it's always good to be able to come back and kind of hear from the different student groups, both undergrad and, and MBA, to, to, you know, just to see what they're doing and what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. On. Interesting times. Awesome. Well, it's great to hear. Um, if you're ready, we'll just go ahead and jump right into the, the first couple questions. So uh, the first question. Um, going way back, you know, you attended UT for your undergraduate studies, graduating with your bachelor's in accounting in 1989. What stands out to you uh, as one of the greatest learning experiences from that point in your life? Okay, it's interesting because you said going way back, and that's really true since it's 1989. So trying to remember back that far. But I think the undergrad experience for me was, I'm going to say, a combination of challenging and wonderful so just trying to separate those two, it was wonderful from, from the perspective that you come to college. It, for me, was the first time I'd been independent and on my own. And so you get to meet all these great people and experience things uh, in classes and organizations where you meet all these people that have different experience. They don't necessarily think like you do. And it was probably my first exposure to a broader set of individuals, and I thought that was extremely interesting. I also said challenging. So I think the challenging piece for me was, okay, so when I came to college, I was 17 because I had one of those late birthdays. So, right, right. Uh, you, you come into the university, you're 17 years old, and you're expected to know what you want to do for the rest of your life. So... I started in accounting and actually graduated in accounting, but I think it's such a challenge at that stage in your life to have to make this decision about what you think the next however many right. work years right. are going to be. So uh, that, that's why we say it's this blend of wonderful and challenging at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you obviously, even if you didn't know what you wanted to do, um, you're coming back here, you enjoyed the time and, you know, probably got a lot from it. So. Yes, I, you know, one of the things as I think back about the career success that I have, I have to say, okay, I owe a lot of that to the university because when I left and I started my first job, I was really prepared. So I was prepared because of the great educational foundation that I had here at the university. So over time as I've been able to give back, it's it's been an easy thing for me to do because it just really made the difference for me starting off my career to have such a solid foundation. Absolutely. So uh, you started your first job, or your professional career anyway, in public accounting. 
Uh, and you worked in that area for several successful years before leaving to start another career at Regal Entertainment. So uh, just for us, you know, being college students, um, what advice might you pass on to anyone gearing up to start their professional career somewhere, um, especially in that uncertain environment? Maybe we don't know if it's what we want to do forever. Yeah, it's so interesting because I, you know, you'll graduate from college with your degree and you'll, you'll take your first job. And I always like to remind students that your first job is not necessarily your last job, right? So you're going to find throughout your career that you're going to have so many different opportunities. And if you're flexible and you have an open mind, your career path may take you, it, it may be one company, it may ten, be 10 companies. It may be the same field, it may be different fields. But I think as long as you approach that with, I'm going to be flexible and open to whatever t opportunities come my way, I think that really helped me. Um, I wasn't one that said, oh, in three years I have to be doing this, or five years I have to be doing this. And so I didn't measure my career by self-imposed milestones and just try to be open when new opportunities came along. And, you know, in hindsight, that worked out very well for me. Um, so I, I just like to remind people because it feels like such a daunting decision when you graduate to take that first job and look at it may work out and that's your forever place to work but if it doesn't that's okay because I think you'll find that there's different and exciting opportunities you know throughout your career and if you're open you can take advantage of those uh, so you know we just mentioned a second ago that you left public accounting went over to Regal Entertainment and when making that shift, uh, you've mentioned how important movies have been in your life, you know, marking some of your biggest milestones, fondest memories. How did this love of movies translate into kind of your move for working for Regal? Did it motivate you to go over there? Uh, what was the thought process there? You know, it's interesting because in public accounting, which we, we talked about where I started, I had the opportunity to see a lot of different industries. So working in that field for 10 years, um, and, and staying here in Knoxville, I always say most companies in Knoxville, I've probably participated in some form during my career when I was doing auditing and learned a lot about the, what I liked doing and what I didn't like doing during that time period. Right. So that part was very helpful. Uh, movies and popcorn, very easy to talk about and, and to come in every day and try to figure out, okay, we need to have the best experience for our customers. And oh, we're going to also... Uh, achieve that with you know in an industry of movies and popcorn okay that's hard not to like so definitely I knew the industry was going to be attractive but I, I think I also was excited about the longer term career opportunities that I saw at Regal Entertainment Group and that helped make my decision so I, I'd say it was two things that you know the love of the industry and movies as well as just the longer term opportunities that I saw if I joined Regal Entertainment Group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what indicated to you that, you know, your love of movies and like popcorn and entertainment and all that other stuff was more than just something, was more than just an interest and something that you actually wanted to integrate into your work, something that you would see and touch every day? You know, that, that was such an interesting piece because if while the industry itself and movies are very exciting, when I joined Regal, it was at a very interesting time. So the industry was going through a lot of issues and to be a little bit more succinct on that, back in the you know late 90s, early 2000s, 
a lot of the theaters were changing. Uh, new amenities were being added, a stadium seating, a lot more screens. So the industry was in a period of change. And Regal at the time period was owned, or had just been recently purchased by two large private equity firms who had made this significant investment in the industry and they'd made this significant investment in Knoxville. So coming from a financial person's background, it wasn't just the industry itself and the movies that was attractive, it was also knowing that I would get experience with these very large financial firms as part of moving over to Regal. So I would say the combination of those two made it very exciting. And there was a lot of interesting things going on at, the, at that point in time. And so to be a part of that, uh, in an industry I knew that I loved, it, it was just hard to think of a different path that would be better for me. You know, it's interesting because, you know, from my, from my own experience, and I say that particularly my generation, movies are just such an integral piece of your memories. So I can remember a time, and you probably haven't experienced this, but the first, I'm going to say the first Star Wars chronologically, okay? Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so let's be clear. The first Star Wars, so uh, summer of 1977, and I'm lined up at a movie theater, you know, 50 people back, and could not believe what I saw when I saw it because just the special effects and the, I mean, it was like, you know, at that time, you didn't see movies like that. So I vividly remember, and I was, you know, still 10 years old at that point in time, so just vividly remember that. And then, you know, as, as you get older, you go with friends. Uh, my husband and I dated a lot at the movies and then became, you know, our young children go with us. So it's interesting how it's just, for me, just such a part of that memory base. But I agree with you. The experience at a movie theater day is very different than it was when I saw Star Wars right, in right, 1977, yeah. which is a good thing. So you joined Regal as the senior vice president of finance in 1999 after leaving public accounting and quickly moved up to other positions in the company, such as executive VP, uh, chief financial officer, and others before assuming the chief executive role in 2009 and chief executive and chairman of the board um, shortly after. So you grew very quickly in those roles and eventually gained the confidence of pretty much everyone, you know, the investors, the board, former CEO, chairman, and founder to lead the firm in a new direction, an innovative direction, in a very uncertain environment. You know, how we think about entertainment is changing. So what do you think differentiated you as a candidate for the CEO position and ultimately made you the best fit for the job? You know, it was interesting because, as you mentioned, uh, prior to becoming CEO, I, you know, served in the CFO role for about 10 years. So during that time period, had the opportunity to learn a lot about the business from a financial perspective. And had pretty much spent the majority of my time at Regal on financial issues. So we bought a lot of companies. Uh, we took the company public. We, it's, I would say it was a finance person's dream because there were so many different activities that you got to lead a CFO uh, that you learned so much about the industry. S a couple of years before we made the, I'm going to say the announcement that I was going to be appointed CEO, uh, Mike Campbell came to me, and he was, again, the founder at that point in time, and mentioned that he was thinking of stepping down from his day-to-day -day responsibilities, and what did I think about the CEO role? 
So it's always interesting. I don't know if it was a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, but you're in your office and somebody peeps their head in and says, oh, by the way, which, what do you think about being CEO? It wasn't an expected question, I'll put it that <laughs> way. So, uh, and all you can say at that moment is, of course. I mean, what, what else are you going to say when somebody asks you that? But in fairness, we both understood, you know, how do I be prepared for that next level, uh, which I think was your question. And so we probably spent the next, I'm going to say two years, making sure that I broadened my perspective. So I didn't spend all my time working on the financial area of Regal, but I moved much more into operations, spent much more time visiting theaters in the field. I uh, spent a lot more time meeting and working with our major studio partners, uh, strategic partners like Coca-Cola, wow. met them at senior levels, understanding that I needed to broaden my experience base. And I believe I was selected for that role in part because one, again, I, I had the strong financial background, but also had a willingness to learn the rest of the business. So there was an intellectual curiosity behind everything else that we did. And I was somewhat stepping outside of my comfort zone into new areas. Yeah. And just having the willingness to do that when, the, when my time came, I think made all the difference because then the board and Mike as CEO as he was making that recommendation to the board grew more comfortable with my abilities outside of my I'm gonna say core role as right. CFO but that it, that really took me being open to say okay I really want to do this I want to invest the time to spend more time right. in areas of the business so that I always say having that curiosity and willing to step outside of my comfort zone has helped me a lot in career progressions. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Because I, I had never I never thought about that. You know, I, I can only imagine being asked to, you know, take over as corporate executive <laughs> of, a you know, one of the foremost companies in your industry and kind of the pressure that would come with that. So you really had a lot of time to to learn and become more comfortable with the ideas and, and probably make decisions and think about it before you had to fully assume the position, I imagine. Exactly. And, and I was so glad that we took the time from, a, I'm going to say, succession planning to make sure that, you know, not only was I meeting with operations, but Mike was there. And in his whole career, he had been an operator. Right. Yeah. So he knew, right. you know, everything about theater operations. And so to have his guidance through that process really accelerated the learning. But I think as individuals, we just have to say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to try this. And that's when we can, it's greater risk sometimes, but I think it leads to greater rewards as well. So getting into your mind and thinking of all the things that were on your plate as CEO, when you actually did make the jump and assume that responsibility what was it like, you know, kind of taking on that task and, and, and actually, I guess, yeah, assuming that responsibility? You know, it was very interesting because, as we just talked about, we spent a lot of time preparing, which is very helpful in the process, in the transition process. I think companies who have successful transition have a lot of planning behind that transition. However, for me, uh, and I think a lot of CEOs would answer this way, um, all amount of the preparation in the world 
it still is a considerably different feeling when you actually assume the responsibility. Right. And I say um, the only way you can really know how it feels to to sit in the CEO's chair is to actually be to the CEO and, and sit <laughs> in the chair. And for for me, it was this really it felt like this great responsibility because there were times where I would be driving home from work and thinking about things that happened during the day and decisions that I had made and 24,000 people can be impacted by those decisions and so from that perspective you always want to make sure that you know you're you're thinking about that from the right perspective it's 24,000 employees it's 200 million customers that come through your door uh, it's the communities where you operate your theater. All can be impacted by the decisions that you're making. So from that perspective, it was, uh, I would say that took a little bit longer yeah. to get to used yeah. to the responsibility or, or feeling the way the responsibility behind those decisions. So your tenure with Regal is a very interesting one because especially during your time as CEO, you know, we as casual movie watchers were dramatically changing how we watch movies and consume media. Um, you know, with all the different streaming platforms we have now, um, especially with COVID, people are going out to movie theaters less. We watch a lot more television. Um, we, we definitely behave way differently than we ever have. So what were some of the things that you had to think about? And I know that you haven't been CEO of Regal for you know, a couple of years. So this this was, um, you know, still a bit in the past, but with that, uh, there were still a lot of challenges there. What were some of the things you had to think about on a day-to-day basis to keep the company successful and competitive? You know, it's interesting, particularly from a COVID perspective, because what I would say as it relates to COVID is it accelerated a lot of the trends in the industry. But the trends that you see accelerated through right. COVID, they existed. Right. They were still coming. They, yeah. They, those were, I say, we faced a lot of headwinds from an industry perspective. Um, you know, movie attendance over a longer term period is flat to down. And a lot of that is exactly what you've just said, Nick. A consumer today has, and, and did when I was at Regal, so many more options to consume content that we were constantly trying to figure out how do we grow a business facing such major headwinds. And, and one way I like to describe it, if, if, the, if you think about moviegoers as, as kind of a pie every year, uh, and that pie may be staying the same size or shrinking, then the way we grow is to grow our slice of that pie. Okay, so we could, we could still prosper in an environment where you had declining attendance, but we had to be so much smarter about how we competed. And in our industry, it was very hard to compete on price. You couldn't go a whole lot higher than the competition, and if you went a lot lower than the competition, you charge less and you made less. Right. So we were constantly trying to figure out how can we bring our consumers the best experience as a way to draw you to the theater away from all the other ways that you could consume content in your home. So, you know, we could buy more theater companies to become bigger and improve the experience at those theater companies. But I would say the majority of our time from a strategic perspective was spent on 
how do we best change the experience inside the theater? And that may be how the theater, you know, film was distributed digitally, so that was a big change. And even how we communicate with you. How do we uh, entice you to come in the theater? Maybe through our mobile app. What offers and do we send to you when you leave the theater? Right. So, but it was all about focusing on the customer as a way to continue to grow the business. But it's also part of why when we received the offer to sell the company, we also knew from a timing perspective, it was a good deal from our shareholders right. based on all the changes that you're talking about. The world about. is changing, yeah. You've got it. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. Because I, I knew that it had to, you know, when writing this question, um, that it's, it was a big emphasis on customer experience because, you know, where you can watch the same movie at home, uh, maybe a couple weeks, a couple months later, there is a reason that you go to a movie theater. And, you know, even if there's less people doing that, like it's all about the experience. How can you get people to really wants to come out and, and come to the theater. So. And that's what we said. We were we were sometimes competing with your couch. So how do we convince yeah. you to yeah. leave your couch, uh, you know, to come to the theater? And that was always going to be about the experience. So we were, you know, making a lot of changes in the theater itself. And you've, you've seen some of those new offerings, uh, expanding the concession stand, adding alcohol to the right. menu, uh, adding big recliner seats. And again, all of that was investment in the theater as a way to, you know, it was a tactical, we had a lot of tactical ways of implementing our strategy, which was improving the customer experience as a way to stay relevant. In addition to intelligent strategic thinking, making the right decisions for the company, the CEO also requires, the CEO role also requires strong leadership. What are some of the premier things to consider, you know, if I'm someone who wants to build or maintain a strong team? What was going through your mind as a leader at Regal? I always say when people ask me sometimes what I'm most proud about my time at Regal, I answer hands down, it's the team. It's my greatest source of pride. And for me, it, first I recruited the right team. Some existed at Regal, had, had worked in the industry for a while. And we brought some new perspective to Regal by hiring individuals outside of the industry. So I felt like the first step was making sure that I built the right team. And once that happened, then how do I best motivate and lead the team in a way for us to achieve maximum results? So from my own style perspective, I'm an extremely collaborative leader. Um, I I would always bring my senior team around the table and whatever issue that we were facing, I wanted to hear the different perspectives. How did this affect operations? How is the food and beverage group going to be impacted by a decision? So I felt it was very important. I had so many experts in different areas of the business. I felt like it was so important that I listened to them. Now, ultimately, I'm charged with making the decision. Right. And I maybe didn't always take 100% of the input, right. uh, but I always listened to the input and I always sought the input So, because I thought that was so important for me. And I think what that did for the team is it empowered the team because my team knew that whatever kind of major decision we would be facing, they would have a voice at the table. They would be able to contribute their perspective. And in doing that, it also allowed me 
to give team members a lot of autonomy. I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't all real hands-on on every uh, aspect of the business where, you know, somebody had to come to me for every decision they needed to make. If marketing needed to make a decision, they needed to make a decision. So I gave great leaders autonomy. But you also have to couple that autonomy with accountability. Right. So uh, we could operate that way as long as we were generating the right results for our stakeholders. But I felt if I empowered and listened to the team that they would be motivated to follow me as a leader. And that seemed to work for us and the culture of Regal very effectively. And uh, so many smart people around that table, some are still at Regal and some have gone on to do different and wonderful things. Yeah. But I always say I was so blessed to be able to work with the team that I worked with on a daily basis. Awesome. There's some, some really good stuff there. Uh, but I know also there's a lot of scenarios and in your life too, working in public accounting, other places where you can't choose your teammates or you can't choose uh, your boss. I guess, it, you know, as CEO, you still had a, you know, well, when you were a chairman of the board, you were kind of the boss, but you still had the investors to, to talk to. So um, do you have any advice just really quickly on, on maybe working with difficult teammates or when not even just difficult teammates, people you can't choose, someone maybe that you would like to replace? You know, that's, that's very interesting. And that's one of the things I noted when I went from CFO to CEO. In CFO role, almost everyone you deal with comes from finance or accounting background. So you're analytical, you process things the same way, you think about the world very similarly. And so that's a whole different way to, to work in a team. And then when I became CEO, and I had to work with the film department, I had to lead the concessions department, I had to lead the finance department, Ultimately, in that process, you start working with people who maybe think differently than you do, who approach a situation different than you would, who would tackle a problem probably from a different perspective than you would. And what worked for me, uh, and, and maybe we could say some of those situations might have been a difficult team member over my career, was I always tried a little bit to stay true to how I would operate but change and adapt how I would work with someone else with the end goal of trying to figure out, we need to get to the best answer here. And they may not really approach this the same way I will. So instead of being combative in that situation, I'm gonna be adaptive in that situation and try to figure out, maybe it's me who needs to approach this a little bit differently in order for us as a team to come to the right answer. That served me well. Everyone may not approach that question or that issue the same way, right? but I found for me that that really helped me dealing with um, different groups and you know different teams within the organization and situations where a, a team or somebody that I was working with might be a little difficult. I would adapt myself to try to figure out how do we get to the right answer? So something else is you're recognized as being a great negotiator. You kind of touched on it earlier, but under your leadership, Regal is known as one of the biggest, the industry's biggest buyers of other companies. 
Um, what advice do you have for managing yourself in sometimes stressful or high pressure negotiations or situations? You know, most of us probably aren't going to be, um, you know, uh, as you know, a CFO dealing with a transaction of buying another company, but we're all going to be negotiating something at some point. I always say stay calm, put things in perspective. We would come in a lot of times and, and there would be a big issue, and in fairness, it was really an issue. But we could often step back and I would say, okay, let's be realistic, no one's gonna die today. So let's stay level-headed, let's get to the bottom. We're, this is a smart group around this table, let's figure it out. But a lot of times you can get so caught up in whatever issue that you're dealing with and it seems daunting because you're right in the middle of it. So just allowing yourself a little bit to step back and say, let's really put this in perspective. Yes, it's important and we want to get it right. So we, you know, we, it, it needs to be given the attention that it deserves. But again, sometimes it's not as big of an issue as you right. seem to make it in the moment. So accepting that, I think, allows you a little bit of a breather to yeah, say, okay, right. now let's figure this out. Things are going to turn out okay. Right. And, and, you know, we may not make the right next decision with respect to this issue. We may all come together, come to a conclusion, and, and we find out that conclusion wasn't the one maybe that we needed to pursue. Well, then let's just fix it. Right. Then we can come back and fix it. So I always felt like no matter what we were facing, because the strength of the team, we would figure it out. Maybe not our first answer, but ultimately we would figure it out. And I suppose, you know, making those decisions was the first step, right? Just kind of doing it and uh, not letting yourself get frozen or, you know, getting kind of too worked up about it, right? I 100% agree with that. And, and somebody told me one time, it's like riding a bicycle. The only way you're gonna make progress is moving. Right. So the yeah. bicycle doesn't work real <laughs> well still. You need to start pedaling. Yeah. yeah, so you need to start pedaling. So a lot of that I think comes through in the decision process is you can, you know, you're thinking about a big risk or you can, I'd say, you know, paralysis by analysis, where you're overthinking it, and, and ultimately you just need to move forward sometimes. And so I always like that bicycle analogy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not going to work real well if we're still. <laughs> so you came into Regal and brought the company to new heights, despite the challenges of their, you know, obviously, despite it being a challenging industry to be in, and then also, despite the challenges of you know the lack of gender diversity in the industry, the lack of gender diversity among C-suite offices. So uh, for you, my question is twofold. Um, first, what advice would you give to young women just entering you know a male-dominated profession? And then two, what advice would you give to the next generation of you know female senior executives? Well, from that, I always say for my career, um, I chose two things really well. I chose my partner really well. And so I think that's good career advice, male or female, because having the support that you need at home always seems to make your career just a bit easier and a bit better. And that goes to male or female. So choose well in that area. 
And I also chose companies that never made me feel like my gender was an issue. It's, there's so many females that have struggled to achieve, you know, promotions and, and, and their struggles are real. But when I'm asked about those, because of where I chose, you know, both in public accounting and then at Regal, I never once had an issue where I felt my gender was a concern or a hindrance. So it's one of those questions where I struggle to say, you know, this is how I would tackle it because I knew that throughout my career, if I, I did the job, performed well, did what was expected, uh, generated results, then my gender wouldn't matter. And that's exactly what happened. So I always try to think about it from the perspective of, you know, what's the best advice, male or female, yeah. for, because I always say, I think it's so important for females, but I also have two male sons. So right. I want to see them, right. you know, have successful careers as well. But for, a, I guess, to your last question, you know, to, a, to young females today, one, I hope their path is so much different and that we've changed in a way that they won't struggle with some of the gender issues that, that females have struggled with over time. But I do think there are a lot of companies out there that are inclusive and supportive and offer opportunities for both males and females, and that's where one should go. And if you're working somewhere where you don't feel that support, leave and, and go right. somewhere else. Yeah, I guess know your value and find yes. someone that appreciates it and exactly, will support you exactly. Because so many, I believe, um, I'll say successful individuals have had mentors, supporters, and I say cheerleaders in their corner that helped them along the way, and I did as well, and that made a difference. But I think that's true regardless of your gender is to try to find that in your career. And it's just, it can just be such a huge asset. So it, the, the gender thing is always a little bit harder uh, because I don't want to at all disregard the fact that so many, you know, struggle. But of course. Um, I think choosing well can be so helpful from that perspective. So reflecting back on your whole time at Regal, what was one of the most rewarding experiences that you ever had? and, and you know, why was it so great for you? And you don't have to pick anything, you know, specific. You can just honestly talk about the whole experience. But You know, that's interesting because I think I've already mentioned as part of this that one of the proudest accomplishments was the fact that I was able to, to build and develop this phenomenal team. And that was just for me a, a huge source of accomplishment and a huge source of pride. And I felt like we also, as an organization, um, when we sold the company in 2018, were able to, over the long term, generate a much higher return from our shareholders than any of our competitors. So a lot of time from a CEO perspective, um, returning value to shareholders becomes a bit of a scorecard. Um, it, I mean that's one of your main jobs is to make sure that your shareholders prosper. Right. And so that's a source of pride. But as part of that, I will also say, I think we did it in the right way. We did it where we wanted to make sure we gave back to the communities where we 
operated. We were a very philanthropic company and we were able to do that because some of our financial success. So I was always proud that we were able to give back. And how we treated our employees was also very important. So from that perspective, uh, I think all the thing, all those things ended up resulting in, you know, us doing the right things, a great answer for our shareholders and a great answer for other stakeholders of the company as well. So it's hard to pick just one thing uh, from a source of pride, but th those are just, you know, s kind of some examples that quickly rise to the top of my mind. It's kind of a loaded question because it's a, such a long period of time, so many things. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really makes up the bulk of your career at this point. If I said meeting Hugh Jackman, would that be bad? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> That's pretty close to the top, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. Well, yeah, you've accomplished so much and seen so much at your time with Regal. Uh, you guys sold the company in 2018, and that's when you um, left. And since then... Um, you have transitioned into you know a variety of different roles. So you're on the board at UT. You transitioned to independent director roles at Amgen, which is a pharmaceutical company, and uh, Gap, which I think is really cool. Um, how is this different from, or how is acting in these independent director roles different from your experience as CEO? And what new challenges does it bring with? It's very different. And when I left Regal. I probably spent about a year trying to really, um, you know, be reflective and say, what do I want to do next? I, I always say I have the perpetual, what do I want to be when I grow up, question to ask myself and to try to find the answer. And Regal, leaving Regal was a, another turning point to once again ask myself that question. And the time period, I'd say the six months to the year when I first left Regal, one, I had my first summer off since I was about 13, and I thought, okay, this is, this is good. This is nice. <laughs> <laughs> this didn't happen when I was at Regal. So I spent a long time trying to decide whether or not I wanted to be CEO again. Yeah. And at that time, I already served on one board, and that was Norfolk Southern, which is a railroad. And so I had some board experience to let me know how that, you know, kind of change in career would be. I had some experience and decided in about, you know, a year after I left Regal that expanding my portfolio of boards would work well. It would give me flexibility in my schedule, which I desired. Uh, it would give me time to travel, which I'm, once COVID gets behind us, really looking yes. forward to actually doing. And it also gave me the opportunity to play in very different industries, which is extremely interesting to me. I talked about at Regal having intellectual curiosity. I think that continues for me now. And so I purposely chose different industries. And you'll notice none of those are in entertainment. So that was my thought for how I, you know, tried to, to move forward with the different boards. And I also wanted to be in companies that I respected and sit around a board table with people that I respected. That was how I was thinking about it. And it's very different than CEO, extremely different. And I wanted to give myself time to have a break so that I could be a better board member. And what I mean by that is your board role is you come in and you're advising management with respect to strategy, you know, succession, talent, very big picture issues. But you're not responsible for executing. And you always have to remember as a board member, 
you are not responsible for executing. Whereas as a CEO, every day, not only are you making decisions, but you're also tasked with executing those right. decisions. So I had to be careful as a former CEO to make sure that I wasn't approaching my board role as an operator, which I had been for a very long right. time. Right. Because the Gap has a great CEO. I don't need to do that. So it is an interesting transition uh, and one that I have to be mindful about coming from such a strong, you know, operations background. But I've really enjoyed uh, my time as a board member because, like I said, it, it gives me diversity of experience across a lot of different industries. And all of the conversations are very strategic, which I find very interesting. Awesome. Well, that was the last question that we have from your career and everything like that. We're going to go into a few of our Haslam interview series questions. These are questions we ask every guest. They're for, they're kind of just rapid fire questions okay. um, just for the audience. So uh, the first question is, what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you were 20? <laughs> I, I love that question. And it's so funny because there's a part of me that says absolutely nothing because I am afraid <laughs> If I knew things at 20 that I now know at 50, right. that that might have influenced my career path. And being naive about certain things uh, probably allowed me to take some risk during my career that looking back, maybe I wouldn't have if I was looking at it from my 50-year-old eyes instead of my 20-year-old eyes. But uh, so that's one way I think about it. And these are supposed to be rapid fire. But I guess the last thing I would say is um, someone has said this and I'm not sure who, who it is, but it's uh, in the end, it will be OK. If it's not OK, then it's not the end. And, and I think there's so many times that that's true. We get worried about things and caught up in things. And five years later, we forget about them. So it's always trying to remember that in the end, things are going to work out and we're going to figure it out. And I know that more today than I probably did when I was 20. So the second question is, what is a resource such as a book that you found particularly helpful? I guess in this case, it could be a movie, too. If you have <laughs> yeah. a movie that you really like. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if I can pick a movie that's really helpful. or a, You know, I guess for me, what what has been helpful from a kind of career perspective, and this sounds probably really simple, but it's true. It's, it's every week I was very focused on my calendar. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Not just my meetings or my activities, but it was also a way for me to say, I'm not gonna miss exercise, so when am I gonna do it? I'm not gonna miss my children's activities, so when am I gonna do it? So actually taking the time, probably at the beginning of the week, to say these are my priorities, and I'm actually going to, at one point I wrote them in a calendar. Now I input them into my iPhone calendar. But that has made such a difference for me. Because if it's in the calendar, I'll do it. If it's not, I'm not. So that's been a method. I don't know that it's a book or a movie, but that's been a method that I've used to make sure I keep focus on priorities. Third is, what inspires you? Oh, a lot of things. Uh, family. Um, I do a lot of things because I'm inspired by my family, and I do a lot of things for my family. Uh, very uh, family-oriented. Travel, I think, is also a source of inspiration. Like I said earlier, I'd love to do it. Uh, I'm looking forward to traveling again. New challenges, I also yeah. think, can be very inspiring. Yeah, awesome. Well, we've spent 
most of this uh, you know conversation talking about your past career, things that have you valued up to this point. Uh, the last question is, what's next? Who knows? That's what's great about it. Um, I think I've operated throughout time without having these next plans and try to be open as opportunities come along. So I have absolutely no idea what could possibly <laughs> be next. But through time, I've found it's usually exciting and interesting, and I'll figure it out. Well, that is awesome. Um, I love that. Thank you so much for being here today. That's all the questions that we have. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say? No, I just want to say thank you very much. I think this is an awesome thing that you're doing, and it's just an honor to be included. I've seen some of the – we've talked about some of the others that you've interviewed, and it's an esteemed group, and I'm proud to be part of it. Awesome. Well, it's an honor to have you. Thank you.